Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Home Field Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. I'm Dan Newman, and along with my co-host, Andrew Newman, we'd like to once again thank you for listening to our show. This week, the NFC Mount Rushmore of Quarterbacks. Last week, we named the best four quarterbacks for each team in the AFC. This week, it is the NFC's turn. Before we start, I'd just like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, comment, do anything you can to engage with the show. Find us on Facebook at Hello Old Sports Podcast or email us at HelloOldSports at gmail.com. I'd also like to remind you that very soon we hope to have our Super Bowl trivia episode. So if you're out there and you'd like to participate, please email us at helloworldsports at gmail.com or comment on our Facebook page, and we will set you up as one of our contestants for our Super Bowl trivia extravaganza. Andrew, how are you today? I am doing well. Um, I guess we should probably put out a call on that Facebook page for anyone who wants to participate in super bowl trivia uh yes we will do that we'll we'll um, i will write that down um you know i'm, I'm tonight is definitely going to be interesting last week's episode you know yeah I, I mean there's obviously some newer teams in the nfc as well but in the afc you had really nobody who's been around before 1960 with a couple of exceptions and the steelers really didn't have any history to speak of fondly prior to 1960 so you're really only talking about two teams that go back to prior to the AFL in the Browns and the um and the Colts who obviously won our AFC bracket as having the strongest quarterbacks which probably isn't a coincidence meanwhile in the NFC just off the top of your head you got teams like the Giants Philadelphia Washington Green Bay Chicago Detroit Chicago um Dallas yeah, well, I'm saying teams that started prior to the 60s. I'm okay, saying yeah, yeah. just teams and, and the Cardinals, who the reason I said Chicago, you know, going back, the you have, you know, at least half the teams that go back to the 50s, if not earlier, in some cases, like the Giants or the Packers or the Bears, they go back to the 20s. So there's a lot more to choose from, which makes it easier in some ways, but can also make it harder in certain cases because as different as football was in 1963, for example, or 1973 or 1983, it's still somewhat comparable. You, you can look at stats and kind of go, all right, I can adjust these up a little bit because of the era. You really, if you're talking about a quarterback from the forties or the thirties, you really can't even look at the stats because the career numbers, a, a you know, a good quarterback would have put up in the thirties or forties is bettered in a year these years you know what i mean so it was it was almost like looking into a different oh it was almost comparing different sports certain cases i think you can look at it comparatively to the other guys that were in the league at that time that's what you have to do yeah so i think just a few sort of 
reminders, and for those of you who may not have listened to the first episode in this series, what we do is we go through the entire history of the team. We pick four quarterbacks to represent the Mount Rushmore of each team. We leave the criteria sort of open-ended so that we can choose whether it's based on stats or winning or just importance of the franchise, big moments. We kind of kind of leave that open-ended, uh, purposely leave that open-ended. And then after we've done each division, we choose a winner in the division. And then once we've done the entire conference, we choose a winner for the entire conference. And as Andrew alluded to, last week's winner was the Colts franchise of both Baltimore and Indianapolis. And now four quarterbacks represented there were Johnny Unitas, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck and Burt Jones. So a couple of Hall of Famers. I guess Manning's not a Hall of Famer yet, but he will be. Some MVPs, a couple of Super Bowl winners. So that is whoever wins the NFC will be going against the Indianapolis Baltimore Colts in the final matchup. And what the way we worked it last week, and I think we should probably work it again this way, this time around is we, we start with a team and Andrew will tell us, tell me who he thinks his sort of no-brainers are. And then, assuming which I, that I agree, which I always have, we then sort of go into the next few that maybe there's a little bit more debate on. Does that work for you? Yep, I think that was good. We didn't really have any... At best, we had disagreements over whether somebody was a no-brainer or not. But nobody I listed as a no-brainer or that you listed as a no-brainer wasn't on the other person's list. So... And I don't think, I don't know about your list, and maybe this will come up. I went pretty far back, but I didn't go so far back to where it was even questionable whether the guy was a quarterback or not. No, no. I I, I think 40s are probably the earliest that I have. I only have a handful of guys who are, are old-ish, you know, are, that are close to that old. I'm looking through trying to trying to just refresh my memory here as I'm as I'm looking. No, I might have one or two as we look, but it's not too many. I mean, yeah, the, the post-World War, anything before World War II is 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 kind of dicey. And certainly not anything going back to the 20s or the 30s where a guy would be the leading passer on the team, but he would not be called a quarterback. He was considered a halfback or a tailback or whatever. And we'd throw 20 passes in the year. I don't think we go back that far. No, I don't think I do, but there might be one or two here. As I'm looking, I think I might have one where I did that for lack of a better, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. All right. So why don't we start off as we did last week in the East. And we started off last week with the jets. So I think, uh, only to be fair, why don't we start off with the Giants this time around? All right. Um, Peyton Manning and Phil Sims are definitely on there, right? It, no, no, no. I don't think Eli Peyton- Manning. Eli Manning. Eli. <laughs> See, you do that to me once a show, probably. So I finally got to do it to you. So I'm happy about that. Okay, fair enough. Yes, Eli Manning and Phil Sims are. Uh, are on the list, are on your list, I'm assuming, right? Yes, and I had those both down as no-brainers. Manning, I think, probably will be in the Hall of Fame. I, Manning certainly maybe would not be in the Hall of Fame were it not for winning two Super Bowls, but the fact of the matter is he did win two Super Bowls. He won two Super Bowl MVPs. Sims, 
I think is a borderline Hall of Famer. Next week when we talk about Super Bowl twenty five, we may talk about Sims some more. But I think Sims is probably a borderline Hall of Famer. I don't think he'll ever get in, but he's probably a borderline. So both of those are definitely no-brainers. Where did you go from there? All right. Um, so my third one was Y.A. Tittle. Me too. Only knock on him is he only was there for four years. But he had probably the four, you know, the most dominant run a Giants quarterback has ever had. If you really wanted to cherry-pick four years of Eli's, 07, 08, 09, and, and 11, you know, like the 07 to 11 era for Eli, but Tittle was, you know, he was there for four years. They were in the NFL championship game three times. He was in an era where, in though he's, he's still sixth in passing yards all time for the Giants, despite only being there for, for four years and playing in 54 games. They were 32 and 13, and then three ties in those four years. 96 touchdowns he threw. Talked in our In Memoriam episode about Del Schaffner, who was his number one receiver for most of that time. But I, I don't think the only slight knock on him would be tenure. But when you talk about who the rest of the guys you're considering are, I don't think that's a strong enough argument to leave him out. Probably the only time until the Eli days where the Giants could truly be considered a passing team. So, yeah, I, I have Tittle on there as well. Okay, and then fourth, to me, it came down to a couple of guys. Um, I actually gave Fran Tarkenton a serious look just because he was the quarterback when they were awful. And he, he was 33, 30, and 36 in his four years, five years as the Giants quarterback. Getting 33 wins to 36 losses out of the late 60s, early 70s Giants was a miracle. And they kind of, it was an early version of the West Coast offense, but I didn't end up going with him. To me, Connerly had to win out just based on longevity. He was the quarterback in 56 when they won the championship. Third most, third most games started all time. Again, much different era, but he still threw 173 touchdown passes you know, just under 20,000 yards total, which is good for third in the passing categories. Ultimately, you know, although that wasn't a throw the ball all over the field era, I still thought he was just stronger than any of the other guys you could give it to. That's Charlie Connerly, the quarterback uh, who was the Giants quarterback in 56 when they won the title. And then again in 58 and 59 when they went to the NFL championship game two years in a row against the Colts lost both years. And then he, he retires after the 61 season 61 was Tittle's first year and Connerly and Tittle sort of shared the quarterback position in 61 Connerly then retires. Interesting fact about Connerly. He was actually the original Marlboro man. It was not uncommon. In fact, it was pretty common for professional athletes to endorse cigarettes in those days. And Connerly was, the original Marlboro man, uh, you know, mascot is the wrong word. Originally, the originally advertised Marlboro man. So great giant. Again, hard to compare the numbers even to Tittle, but considered a star in his time, hence the endorsements, the quarterback of the championship team. Interestingly enough, before we move on, if you look at Connerly's stats, you won't see a lot of starts because the, Giants in those days had a weird habit of they had another quarterback by the name of Don Heinrich who would oftentimes actually start the game and then Connerly would observe the first couple of series from 
the sideline sort of getting an idea of what he should do when he went in. So if you look at the championship season, for instance, Connolly has 12 games appeared in all 12 games, but zero starts and only six starts in 58. So it's, it was a different era and he played the position in a different way, but the leader of a really dynamic offense for those giants teams, the leader of a championship winning team in 1956 giants wouldn't win another championship again till 19 till 1986, 30 years later. So I would say absolutely. So we're in agreement here. Eli Manning, Phil Sims, YA Tittle and Charlie Connerly. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, this one's going to get interesting. Um, what do you have for the Eagles? So I have Norm Van Brocklin. Okay. I have Sonny Jurgensen. I have Donovan McNabb. And I have Randall Cunningham. I have McNabb and Cunningham. Um, really? Those are the two I thought would be more. Cunningham. So here's the deal. McNabb is on the list. You can talk me out of either Jaworski or Cunningham. I didn't put either of the older guys on there. Wow. I, I mean, I'm, now we, I did this a couple of weeks ago, so now I'm trying to find my reason. And it wasn't just, oh, they're like the numbers were older. I feel like I had reasons why neither of them really made the list, but you can talk me into one of them. I'm going to stand pretty firmly on my last spot. But so I think this was so. You had Jurgensen and Van Brocklin, right? Yeah, and Cunningham and McNabb. And Brocklin's on the team for three years. Okay. And Jurgensen, Jurgensen's on the team for seven years, below 500. I mean, his numbers are a lot better than Van Brocklin's were while Van Brocklin was the quarterback. It's funny, in 1960, which up until a couple of years ago was the last world championship for the Eagles franchise. The two quarterbacks were Van Brocklin and Jurgensen. Van Brocklin in his last year was the starter. And then Jurgensen, I don't know if Jurgensen was actually a rookie that year. It was definitely early on in his career. Two guys who would both go to the Hall of Fame, but Van Brocklin's best years were earlier on with the Rams and Jurgensen's best years were later on with the Redskins. So yeah, maybe I was blinded a little bit by the fact that they won a championship. You yeah. had Ron Jaworski as one of yours. I mean, he's second all time in passing yards. He was, you know, started the most games in franchise history. Well, McNabb got six more starts than him in franchise history. Did take him to a Super Bowl. He's second all time in touchdowns. Um, let, let's get to the crux of the matter. Nick Foles goes on this list. Really? Nick Foles. Okay, what's the most important moment in Philadelphia Eagles franchise history? Uh, well, I mean... No, 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 no. Uh, how important was football in 1960 compared to how important was football in 2017? In Philadelphia? Anywhere. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Nick, Nick Foles goes on the list, and it's Nick, Nick Foles takes over for Carson Wentz leads this team. And look, this is disgraceful that he did this. You could <laughs> argue with me that he, that it's, it's objectively bad for humanity. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that, that the Eagles won a Super Bowl, but I, I, I Nick Foles to me is on the Mount. If you're talking about Mount Rushmore 
Because if we're just going to go, okay, who's the top four in passing yards? Okay, fine. But if your argument for why Norm Van Brocklin goes on the list is because he was the quarterback for a team that won a championship, my argument is going to be that Nick Foles comes in as a backup. I mean, he also, by the way, was there before and had some good... Nick Foles played more games as an Eagle starting quarterback than Norm Van Brocklin did, I'm sure. Uh, well, only 36 for Van Brocklin. Yeah, Nick Foles, Nick Foles played f- uh, 40 games with the Eagles. He's 21-11-0 as a starter. Van Brocklin's 19-16-1. He, by the way, won another playoff game the next year, too, but that's neither here nor there. He was the quarterback. I mean, yeah, the most famous play. And he was also, by the way, involved in the most famous play in Eagles history. Now, he caught the ball, but he was still a quarterback. So I'm assuming that the fact that the Eagles hadn't won so long is a part of this argument here because you could make the same argument for Jeff Hostetler. You could make the same argument for Doug Williams, you know, guys who were not really full-time starters. So I'm guessing the... You could absolutely make the argument for Hostetler. The question is, who would you... If you went back to the Giants, who would you put Hostetler in instead of? Yeah, all right. Nick Foles goes... again. I think you're exhibiting a little too much of, oh, it was 60 years ago, so it was more important because less people remember it. You know what I mean? I I, I think you're overcorrecting here. I think the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame makes a difference too. All right. Not with the Eagles. All right. No, you're right. You're right. Okay, it's fine. So we're taking McNabb. Yes. We'll take Foles. All right. The rest of them you can have. I, I, you can, you can just, just, I'm not going to die on the hill of Ron Jaworski. <laughs> you know, I'm actually inclined. Let me just look at Jurgensen's numbers here with the Eagles. And the fact he, of the matter is we're going to have to talk about Sonny Jurgensen again in a minute, too. Yeah, Jurgensen, uh, he, did, he didn't do a whole – he was really only the Eagles starter for two-plus years. All right, so here's what I'm going to propose. We got Falls. We got McNabb. I'm going to go Van Brocklin over mm-hmm. Jurgensen because Van Brocklin was either an all-pro or a pro bowler all three years that he was in Philly, and he led them to a world championship. And I want to say, did he maybe win an MVP award or something in that 1960 season? No, that was that's not right. Paul Horning won it in 1960. Um, but... No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1960, his last year, Van Brocklin, he was the NFL and uh, the he was the NFL MVP. Yeah, the it was Horning was in 61. Yeah, so I'm going to take Van Brocklin, and then you know I think I'm going to given I don't know I'm kind of torn between Jaworski, Cunningham, and. Jurgensen. I almost think it's got to be Jurgensen. More times leading the league, more all pro selections. Jaworski didn't really do much great shakes. And then Randall Cunningham was, uh, he, the guy played forever and he was a, a revolutionary quarterback, but eh, yeah, you know what? <sighs> I don't know, Cunningham or Jurgensen. Cunningham was a revelation. 
But again, and I meant I mentioned this with Andrew Luck the other day. Is does the average Eagle fan have more positive memories about Randall Cunningham, or is so much of it about if only with Randall Cunningham? All right. Yeah. Uh, that's not an, an answer. That's that's just me thinking about it. We should probably make a decision because at some point it becomes pretentious to think about this for this long, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. <laughs> like, um, you know what? On tenter hooks about this. Let, let's go with Jurgensen. So Jurgensen, Van Brocklin, McNabb, and Foles. Yeah, Nick Foles, Donovan McNabb, Sonny Jurgensen, and Norm Van Brocklin. Let's keep traveling south and go to Washington. Who are your no-brainers in Washington? Sammy Baugh is a no-brainer for me. Mm-hmm. And Joe Theismann is a no-brainer for me. I had both of those. Theismann, not a Hall of Famer, but in his day was a really good quarterback for Washington, won an MVP award, won a Super Bowl, took him to another Super Bowl. I had both of those as well. Yeah. Um, let me do this. Redskins passing leaders. Trying to, there we go. Um, yeah, so the, they're – where the heck – Every other team, it pulled up a lot easier. Now I got to do this. More team info. Career leaders. Passing. There we go. Um, yeah, Theismann is the all-time leader in, in yards by, well, just by a couple thousand. Won them that Super Bowl, was the quarterback for the next team, which a lot of people say is the best team that they had in that era in 83 that lost to the Raiders. Tied for actually the most starts all-time with Sammy Baugh. 160 touchdowns, which is third all-time in passing uh you know, for the Redskins is really associated with the Redskins of that era, even though they won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks and had a fourth one in there and Jay Schrader at some point, people kind of consider that like the Theismann era, you know what I mean? So to me, he definitely goes on there. Theismann, Baugh, and I have Jurgensen on there for Washington as well. Me too. Yeah. His best years were definitely with Washington. I think he... He was, you know, a very atypical quarterback. He was always known for not being in the best of shape and that type of thing. And it's weird. He, I think he was hurt the year that they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Dolphins. He didn't get to start in that Super Bowl. He, Billy Kilmer got to start in that game, and he only seemed to have start, seems to have started four games in that Super Bowl. So I think he was either hurt or had been sort of relegated to backup. Yeah, I mean, Jurgensen... I put him on there. He put up some really good seasons, led the league in yards passing with the Redskins one, two, three times, led the league in completions one, two, three times. So maybe not a dominant quarterback, but given that I think he's the only other Washington quarterback who's in the Hall of Fame, and he did have some good years in the 60s, he gets number three. Where did you go for number four? So... I went with Billy Kilmer. To me, you could talk me into Mark Rippon if you wanted. I think I'm giving Rippon's numbers a second look here and realizing they were better than I probably gave him credit for. But I'll stick with Kilmer. He was there a little bit longer. One more games. Yeah, they lost that Super Bowl, but it can't just be about that. Numbers are comparable to Rippon's in a much different era in the 70s as opposed to the late 80s, early 90s. To me, I yeah, I'll, I'll stick with Kilmer. Did who did you have fourth? I had Rippin. 
Yeah, Rippin. Yeah, I think that Super Bowl MVP kind of pushes him over the edge. All right, you can, yeah, that's I. I mean, it, Kilmer was fourth for me, and you know, it, Rippin's numbers are a little better than I thought because I know he was always kind of. They were never. They never seemed entirely thrilled with him there, you know. But certainly won them a Super Bowl. Most of the years he was there, they were, you know, pretty good. Didn't wasn't healthy all that long, which probably didn't help. But um, yeah, that ninety one was actually one of only two years he started all sixteen games. But uh, yeah, that's it's a close one. I I I'd, I I'm fine with going with Rippin. So for Washington, we have Mark Rippin, Joe Theismann. Sonny Jurgensen and Sammy Baugh. Now, real quick before we move on, because I was gonna, I'm gonna make this point in the opposite direction when we get to the next team. There are. This would be a. I don't know anything about Sammy Baugh or Mark Rippin's uh, capabilities, but the other two, that's a rough broadcast to listen to. Heisman <laughs> <laughs> and Sonny Jurgensen. Well, all those years. On, and when I was first living here, it was still this way. The, I think they had a play-by-play guy too, but the the two of the three guys in the broadcast booth for the skins were him and Jurgensen and Sam Huff, and it was just like as recently as four or five years ago, I remember because I was driving home from a bachelor party down about an hour south of DC, maybe four. It was actually the week after you got married. And I was coming home, and the Giants didn't play till Monday night. And I was driving home, and I was listening to the Redskins against the Browns on Sirius for most of it. And there's like there was like thirty guys that they would they would occasionally go to. They, that was when Jurgensen was still there, and he would just pipe in every now and then and just be like, "Pick up this third down." And I was like, "All right." And then <laughs> it's halftime, Sonny. It was like six different booths. He'd be like, "All right, now we're gonna go to Chris Cooley over here, and then we're gonna go to this guy over here." And then Theismann all those years on the Sunday night booth was not a great broadcaster either. We're not here to denigrate anybody, but I thought we might talk about Dallas first and talk about how a lot of those guys are like, you know, pretty legendary or famous broadcasters. And then I could compare it to Washington, but we did it in reverse order. So I had to make the joke backwards, but the point still stands. Who you got for Dallas? To me, there's three no brainers here. Uh, Staubach, Aikman and Romo were no brainers. Agreed. Aikman and Staubach, multiple Super Bowls and in the Hall of Fame. Romo doesn't have either one of those things, but yeah, he Romo was if you if he was not a great quarterback, he was a very, very good quarterback. Put up some crazy time. numbers. Played for a long time. Yeah. And had a I think he had at least one or two years where he had a case as the MVP. He's also he's their leading he leads in uh yards for them. He's got nearly a hundred more touchdowns than Aikman. He's got 95 more than Staubach. You know, he's up there in terms of total starts. And by the way, he retired a lot earlier. He's still only, I mean, how old is he even now? I, this doesn't have his birth date on here, but, uh, you know, he could still be playing now. But anyway, yeah, to, to me, those- he's 40 now. So I, he, for him to still be playing would be pushing it a little bit. He's been out of the league for, this is his fourth year out of the league. And he was, and really in, in 16, he only played in one game. So, I, I don't necessarily. And the year before, year. 
and he was hurt the whole year before. I don't know. I'll, I'll ponder that as I watch the uh, Bucks and the Saints play on uh, in the playoffs this weekend with total combined age eighty seven of the two quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, I think no, that was I, how I think that was whole how old Jurgensen was when they finally took him out of the broadcast booth. I mean, it, it would be pushing it for him to still be playing, but like he theoretically could still be playing. So to me, then the fourth one comes down to a, a choice between Danny White and Don Meredith. Dak Prescott's not quite there yet, in my opinion. He probably will be in a couple of years. I went with Meredith just because I feel like, and maybe it's not fair, but I feel like the Cowboys were a little bit, and it kind of goes back again to the fans thing. Like The era Danny White was the quarterback is probably more associated with disappointment for the Cowboys, whereas that era that Meredith was the quarterback. And I know you can point to plenty of disappointments in that era as well, but sort of the dawn of the Cowboys and, you know, the sort of original myth-making of the Cowboys was during that era. So, again, it's not one I totally feel strongly about. White's numbers are probably better, but then you have to talk eras you know, that 20 years is a big difference there. So I agree. I think white, I think Meredith was a team leader in a way that maybe white wasn't like you said, those Cowboys of the eighties were not great. Meredith led his team to two NFL title games against the Packers in 66 and 67, both of which they lost basically on the last play of the game. Career cut short. He retired at 30 because of injuries. So you're right. Both important figures in, and it really is sort of funny to think about how with only a few years off in between, the Cowboys all these years have gone from Meredith to Staubach to White to Aikman. And then there was a few years between Aikman and Romo, but the story of the Dallas Cowboys quarterbacks, I just named five guys and we got to push one off. So I'm comfortable like you are with having Danny White be that guy. So our Dallas, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sort of just like one guy who is sort of synonymous with the beginning and the rise of the Cowboys that then lasted all the way for another 20 years. And then White was there as it started to go down. Not that it's his fault, but that's, you know, he is associated with that. And that just to, to, by the way, underscore my point, Don Meredith, or what I was saying about with Washington before, Don Meredith, uh, one of the original Monday Night Football announcers for all those years, Tony Romo, now the lead guy at CBS and probably will be for a very long time, and Troy Aikman, the lead guy at Fox for 20 years now. I don't know if Roger Staubach had much of a broadcasting career to speak of, but... You know, you'd think he would, too, because he was sort of such a clean-cut... Navy guy and always very polished. And I just want to look up here and see, did he do anything after he, I don't know if it will actually, if I'll be able to find it with any sort of ease. I don't see any, oh, here we go. During the early 1980s, Staubach worked for a brief time as color commentator for CBS Sports NFL telecasts. Uh, So he did it for a short period of time. So, He's probably the best quarterback of the four, but most likely the least prominent broadcaster of the four. So just to recap, our Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks, Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach, Tony Romo, and Don Meredith. Who gets the Duke here? Who wins the division? It's got to be Dallas, I feel like, right? I mean, 
the Giants don't have any soul Hall of Famers there. Maybe Eli gets in borderline. The Eagles guys we talked about, you know, the the two older guys, you can't give even the majority of their careers to the Eagles. I mean, what? Yeah, I think it's got to be Dallas, right? I think you could make half a case for Washington, but I'm with you. It's Dallas. All right. So Dallas goes on into the next uh, round. So now we get into some very old football. Where do you want to start? So the next division is the North, Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota. Where do you want to start there? Let's start with the newest. Let's start with Minnesota. So let me pull this up. What I have listed here is I have Fran Tarkenton. And that's probably the only no-brainer. You're probably right, um, uh, Vikings passing leaders. I have Fran Tarkenton, Dante Culpepper, Tommy Kramer, and Wade Wilson. I was with you on the first three. Tarkenton's a no-brainer. Led the team to three Super Bowls. You talk about sort of revolutionary quarterbacks. Tarkenton is really sort of the first of the running quarterbacks. He is an all-time great Tarkenton. So I think he was an MVP one year. So he is without, yeah, he, he won the MVP in, I believe it was sometime in the mid 70s. Let me just pull that up here. Tarkenton was MVP at 75. Like I said, three Super Bowls, Hall of Famer, played with the team. He, he runs with the Vikings. That was what I was just about to say. He really had kind of a crazy career. He came up with them in 1961, played with them for through 66. Then he was on the Giants for five, five or six years and then was traded back to them in 72. And then that was when he had all those crazy runs. And here was a guy, his rookie year in 61, he started 10 games. In 78, he started 16 games. So he was a starting quarterback in the NFL basically for 18 years. There were a couple years with injuries and that type of thing. So Tarkenton, a no-brainer. I was with you on Culpepper. His Vikings years are obviously the best years of his career. He was kind of a journeyman later in his career, Oakland, Detroit, Miami. But he, and 99, which was his rookie year, and Randall Cunningham was actually the quarterback of the team. He was a backup. He didn't get many. So those Vikings teams, those crazy teams with Moss and Chris Carter and Jake Reed, the best of those, well, actually the best would have been 98 the year before. That was the year with Cunningham. And that was the year they were 15 and one and lost the NFC championship game. But he took that over and had some really solid years in 2000, 2001, two, three, four. Made the Pro Bowl three times, 2003 and 04. So, yeah, a good NFL quarterback for a few years. Tommy Kramer, I think, maybe kind of gets there by default as the number three. There's nothing really particularly eye-popping about the career of Tommy Kramer won Pro Bowl. The only thing he ever really seems to have led the league in was interceptions. I I don't know how many times they made the playoffs a couple times, but didn't really do all that much. But he provided some consistency at quarterback for the team in the 80s. And if you're looking at the history of the franchise, there's really nowhere else you can go 
for your number three other than Tommy Kramer. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, he's second all-time in passing uh, yardage and, and basically, like you said, kind of by default just because very day's got two more interceptions than touchdowns, two games under 500, uh, you know, a very 55.1% completion percentage, like very definition of sort of middle of the road, but sort of longevity and lack of competition, in my opinion, get him there. You know, it's funny. We alluded to this a little bit when we talked about Chris Dolman in one of the In Memoriam episodes. The quarterback situation in the 80s and the 90s for the Vikings was very interesting because you had a few years of Wilson, and then it seemed like every year they'd find a quarterback who was pretty good for one year or maybe two years, and then they'd get rid of. So after Wilson leaves, they have Rich Gannon for a few years, a full 10 years before Rich Gannon is an MVP. He's starting for the Vikings. Then they get one year of Jim McMahon, make the playoffs. That was the Viking team that lost to the Giants in the first round of the playoffs. Ninety-three. Then you get a couple years of Warren Moon. Then you get Brad Johnson for a couple years. And then one year of Cunningham. And I don't know the, the entire story, but there must have been some reason why they let Cunningham walk after he was the quarterback on a 15-1 and one team that put up just a crazy offense. Then you had one year of Jeff George, and then it was Culpepper. Cunningham was on the team in 99. Just- so they benched him for Jeff George. I guess. Strange. But it wasn't. Didn't they bring in Culpepper? In no, ninety nine was Jeff George was the leading. Oh, yeah. passer. There was a year in between. But they must have also had Culpepper on that team. Culpepper wasn't a rookie in two thousand. No, but I think he got in like one game oh. in a mop up role in ninety nine. He didn't do much. Yeah, who that? Who who knows? Maybe Cunningham was hurt. Or he did get hurt a lot. I remember not thinking he got hurt. I remember at the time thinking it was strange. But that's a story for a different time. So you went with Wade Wilson. I was a little bit... I went with Joe Cap. Okay. Joe Cap, who spent most of his career in the Canadian League, but came to Minnesota and played for the Vikings for a few years, sort of in between the Tarkenton era. And 69 led the team to Super Bowl Four against the... Chiefs, and I believe made the Pro Bowl. I I thought I had seen that he was the NFL Player of the Year that year. I'm looking on his football reference page, and I'm not seeing that. I know in those days there were, you know, different awards, but I went with Cap. All right. I mean, I mean, he really wasn't the starter for much less time than Wade Wilson was. Wade Wilson was there for ten years. Was he, but he didn't start all those years. He was, I think he was probably. But all right. So, so Cap had one year, you know. I can give you a Wilson on this one. I, I don't, I'm not going to fight for Wade Wilson. Like, I can see what you're saying with Joe Cap, but like through 47 touchdowns to or 37 touchdowns to 47 interceptions with the Vikings, did not complete 50% of his passes. He was there for three years. I'll give you Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. This would be the last time we talk about it. I don't think they're gonna. Uh, I don't think they're gonna win this category. So the Vikings: Fran Tarkenton, Dante Culpepper, Tommy Kramer, and Wade Wilson. Let's go Detroit. Who are your no-brainers? Matt Stafford is a no-brainer. And he is. He probably will not be a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he put up some really good numbers for the 
Lions, connecting with uh, Megatron all those years. And Bobby Lane. Yeah, Bobby Lane is definitely a Hall of Famer. Led the team to the last NFL championship that they had in 1957. A, a very interesting guy, a guy who was a big drinker and a smoker and sort of a, a hellraiser, but beloved in Detroit and, like I said, was the quarterback of three championship teams in 52, 53, and 57. By the way, he is the only Lions quarterback with a significant number of starts who is above 500. Even Stafford is 16 under. The, you got to go all, to find a guy above 500. You got to go all the way down to Bill Munton, who went 24, 21, and three in the late 60s and early 70s. And then, yeah, like there, it, you can't just base it on team success with the Lions because that you're done after Bobby Lane, basically. Started his career with the Bears and then in 1949 played for the New York Bulldogs, which I believe was a team in the, was that an AAFC team in the New York? No, that was an NFL team in the New York Bulldogs in 1949, played at the Polo Grounds. One in 10, was one ten and one was their record. Anyway, so Bobby Lane, Matt Stafford, where'd we go next? I have Greg Landry and Scott Mitchell. That's who I had. I basically just took the two guys with the newer next in line statistically. You know, Mitchell was there. I, I remember Mitchell basically getting the Lions starting job because he had one real good game with the Dolphins filling in for Dan Marino. That That's kind of, you know what, I'm going to pull that exact game up because I, I remember Marino got hurt and Mitchell was good and got a job with Detroit and was always more... I always remember him being criticized as stinking, but like did have a couple of playoff appearances for them. You know, the last playoff appearances they had for a very long time, 12,000 yards, 79 touchdowns to 57 interceptions. I think his numbers are a little better than I thought they would be. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's nothing to be proud of that. He's their third best quarterback of all time, but yeah, I mean, you get to, Joey Harrington on this list pretty quick. Like when you look at Lions quarterbacks through history, yeah. that's how bad it is. Landry, Greg Landry was a quarterback for them in the the, the early 70s. Did not do anything too noteworthy. Made one Pro Bowl in 71. Made the playoffs once in 70, although even that year he was not the the lone starting quarterback. He sort of split it with another guy. The thing I remember most about most about Scott Mitchell, beyond the fact that you're right, I almost remember him more as Marino's backup. Do you remember uh, when, in, when we first started playing fantasy football in the mid nineties? Yeah. So um, there was a thing where, um, and I guess I can, I can say this word. Um, the broadside of a barn. Well, no, they used to, that was in the magazine, but in the magazine also, they used to say, <laughs> Scott is a lemon ass. <laughs> but he plays but he plays on a team that throws the ball all the time, which is funny to think about because he was playing with Barry Sanders. So I don't know, maybe who knows. But um they used to say that he he was not a good quarterback, he was not a winning quarterback, but just by virtue of how many times he would throw the ball, he would just put up good fantasy numbers. But yeah, it gets pretty given how long this franchise 
has been around. They first came into the league in 1930 as the Portsmouth Spartans. And you've really got one Hall of Famer, one decent guy, and then two guys who just really don't belong at all. So for the Lions, we're going to go with Bobby Lane, Matt Stafford, Scott Mitchell, and Greg Landry. All right. Um, I'm going to say, let's go to the Packers next because the Packers won. You're really discussing one position where the bears one might, we might get a little more into the bears one. Yep. I I'm thinking three, no brainers for the Packers. Rogers, Favre, star, Bart star, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, all one MVPs, all one super bowls and all will one day be in the hall of fame. All right. I'm thinking we're probably going to disagree on the fourth here, but why don't you tell me who you had? I, I was being purposely provocative here. I think your disclaimer at the beginning that this guy shouldn't count as a quarterback is probably accurate, but I, I took Arnie Herber from the thirties. I mean, he did pass the ball a lot. Like, he threw the ball a hundred times a year, a couple of times here. It wasn't like he was three for eight, but he's also officially listed as a tailback most of the time. Um, but, I shall simply note yeah. that I also had Arnie Herber. Okay. Well, so Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's through to Don Hudson in the early years or in the later years of, in the early years of Hudson's career, in the later years of his career. And the numbers, again, it's the 30s. The, the thing that jumps out at you is how awful the completion percentage is, you know, 30 to 40% completion percentage. But, you know, with the quarterback on a couple of championship teams in the 30s. Four right? championships. Four championships. In 1936, he was 77 of 173 for 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. Most years, you know, around 10 touchdowns. Like, again, it was the 30s. So it's you can't compare it to even 20 years later. But if there's going to be a team where you're going to throw a guy this old on there, you know, I could have gone with like Lynn Dickey or something like that. But I figured why not take a nod to the one of the earliest dynasties and put Herber on the list there? Because then you're going to have guys who did a ton of winning if you have those four on there. The other thing I think is interesting, and, and I don't know, this is – probably the first we've had where all four guys are hall of famers and it's definitely the first aaron we've rogers had where, hall of famer well he will be i mean I, I think we can safely say aaron rogers is going to be in the hall of fame by the way aaron rogers is at the top of this list yeah i hate i mean i i think rogers is a better quarterback than Favre. i'm i was rooting years ago and i i continue to root this year for rogers to win another super bowl so that he has more than Favre. No question about it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think Rodgers is first, but all four guys, Hall of Famers, if you, again, if you assume Rodgers is going to be there, and did it basically, obviously Favre left at the end, but did basically their whole career in Green Bay and put up that Hall of Fame resume in Green Bay. So I think we are definitely in agreement in chronological order. Arnie, Arnie Herber, Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers. That's a... That might be the strongest one we've seen so far. Uh, let's go to Chicago. I only had one no-brainer. Is that Sid Luckman? Sid Luckman, 40s, great quarterback. Father was actually a uh, gangster who worked for Murder, Inc. in New York City. In the, the rap group Murder, Inc.? No, the, no. Uh, the Meyer Lansky gangsters in the 30s and 40s. So 
Luckman's got a really interesting story, but he's a great, great player, great quarterback. So he definitely makes it in, no question. After that, it gets a little slow. We just we have to talk. It's it's insane how bad their quarterback history is for a successful franchise that's been around a hundred years. Leading <laughs> passer is of all time already is Mitchell Trubisky. Now again, I know different errors, but uh, so Cutler is on the list to me. He was there for a long time. He's by ten thousand yards. Their leading passer. I know he's you know was always a polarizing guy, but he threw. 154 touchdowns. He was, you know, again, a team with no sort of passing game to speak of before he was there. To me, Cutler is on there. I have Jim McMahon on there. McMahon is, is you can justify McMahon with the numbers, but even if you couldn't, being the quarterback of that 85 team, I think that alone would probably put him on there. Especially, And he was a character and he was a team leader in his own way. Yeah, and the numbers justify it too. So I, Cutler, Harbaugh, and and um, Luckman to me, not Harbaugh, Cutler, Luckman, and McMahon to me would definitely be the three that I don't think there's much debate about. And then I put Billy Wade on as the fourth one. I did too. Just because he was, I mean, the other candidates would be Jim Harbaugh, um, probably. Wade had a, you know, was the quarterback of that team that won the championship in 63. He was a pro bowler in 63, you know, was their primary starter the whole, really for about a five-year period, had a couple of, of really nice, you know, threw for 3,000 yards in 62, which was, you know, in 1962, that's, that's a lot. 22 touchdowns in 61, 18 in 62. If you're going to put McMahon there for winning a championship, I think you can make the same argument with Wade. Yeah, I like Wade. I, I looked a couple other places. George Blanda was there for a couple years, but it was not his not his best time by any means. I, I looked really far back very briefly at Johnny Lujak, who was Luckman's successor. He was only on the team for four years. He was only in the NFL for four years, but two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. Lujak was a Notre Dame, and I believe he played a role in the uh, Notre Dame Army game, one of those. I knew that name from somewhere. Yeah. second, I was like, did he, like, become a wrestler or something? Like, why do I know that name beyond just that? But, yeah, you're right. I think he was involved with the uh... – oh, he also won the Heisman in 47, so he was the one right after Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside. If you want to hear more about the history of Army football, check out our two episodes, one on the history of Army football and one on the history of – the Army Navy game in the archives, but yeah, that that must be why why I knew the name. They wanted him to go to West Point, asked for an appointment, but a fan of he was a fan of Notre Dame from listening to their broadcasts, so he played at South Bend. Okay, that makes sense. I did he maybe uh, he was an, an assistant for a couple of years at Notre Dame. Oh, that's he was also a TV color commentator, and he did a lot of Giants games in the late fifties and early sixties. So I am with you, Billy Wade, Jim McMahon, Jake Cutler, and Sid Luckman. I don't know how much discussion we need here, but who wins the division? Well, considering that one team has three sure five, well, four Hall of Famers, but, you know, Rodgers and Favre and Starr, it, it, it's the Packers in, in a fairly... I mean, if you took the four best quarterbacks from the other three teams, I don't think they would touch the Packers. That would be Luckman, Lane, Tarkenton, and uh, exactly. 
probably Stafford, but yeah, no, that would that'd be closer. But yeah, no, you agreed. So we got Green Bay, we got Dallas. Do we want to go south or west next? Let's go south. And the reason I like the the comparison is, you know, I with the NFC East, you had three teams who've been around forever, and then the Cowboys who've been around since the sixties. They're since sixty. NFC North, three teams that have been around forever, and then Minnesota, who's been around since nineteen sixty. And now you got four newer teams. The oldest team on this list is who? Atlanta and New Orleans. And neither of them had much history to speak of for a very long time. So this is a lot newer. So I like the sort of um, contrast here. So let's go with South. Let's start with New Orleans, because I think when you want to talk about drop-offs, this is another example of that. Breeze is a no-brainer, obviously. Breeze is a no-brainer. And Archie Manning is a no-brainer. Archie Manning is definitely a no-brainer. I think (laughs) for obvious reasons, the actual career of Archie Manning gets lost in the fact that he's the father of Peyton and Eli Manning. In a way, it's kind of similar to like a Ken Griffey Sr. or a Bobby Bonds where they're, they're better known for being the father of sons who eclipse them. But Manning was beloved in New Orleans. His career definitely cut short by injuries. And I don't know if I don't think he ever made the playoffs, never led a team to the playoffs. I don't believe so. Oh, no, 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 no. Those Saints teams were horrible. Here's his. Yeah, he was. His record is a starter because I don't want to pull up the whole franchise index, but I'm looking at this now. Oh, my God. The years he was with the Saints, which they'd been in the league about four years when he came in in 71, 3-5-2, and 2-11-1, and 5-8, 3-8, 2-11-1, missed the whole 76 season with an injury. Probably, I bet he was just using that as an excuse. 1-8, and 7-9, and nine, and then 8-8 eight and eight in his last year. Or no, 8-8, eight and eight, then 1-15, and 15, and then 3-8 and eight before he finally got out of there in 82 after and went to Houston and a few other teams. But the, he is a Hall of Famer. His career record with the Saints is 35-91-3. Well, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Not a Hall of Famer? No, he's not in the Hall of Fame. I thought he was. Oh, wow. I see. I thought he was. I had, I had thought he was always thought he was a Hall of Famer. No, nah, he falls short of that. And, and justifiably so. He doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. It's, okay, so just a few quick numbers here. 35-91-3 with New Orleans. 35 101 and three for his career. He lost. This is this is perhaps the most interesting stat to me. He lost the last 18 starts of his NFL career. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I mean, and that that's the thing, is like how bad he was, and nobody ever talks about like nobody ever tries to blame him for it. Like they all kind of acknowledge that. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a, he did the best he could with absolutely horrendous teams. Like, and got the, and the thing with in football too is like, you get the crap kicked out of you if you're on a bad team like that, which he did. Where do we go next? Well, we didn't finish New Orleans. No, I mean, where oh. do we go next with quarterbacks for New Orleans? Aaron Brooks is on my list. Is he on your list? He is. He was the quarterback for a brief period of time from 01 to like 05, basically immediately prior to Breeze. And then 
I went with Bobby Abair. That was where I went to. So hard. Uh, you know, it Abair, you know, those are three and four in the all-time passing leaders. Um, you know, Brooks had a few good years with the Saints. Abair was actually there when they were, you know, probably had their best stretch prior to, you know, the the Drew Brees era. And then if you look beyond those guys, it's all guys who were there a couple of years. So it's not guys who were there very long. So again, Wade Wilson's back on this list now too. Um, wait, I mean, he's way down, but yeah, I, I think those sort of by default have to be the guys. Abair actually had a really good record with them and, you know, but those were the teams in the late eighties and early nineties that were best known for just having so many good linebackers, not legends, but Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills, Pat Swilling, they, they'd have two and three Pro Bowl linebackers for like four and five years in a row. Yeah, they were, they, they were in that NFC West where th- every team played in the Southeast, basically. <laughs> yeah, New Orleans, Atlanta, Tampa, Tampa. No, Tampa was in the Central. Eventually, it got to a point where the last couple of years of that division, once St. Louis moved to, once the Rams moved to St. Louis, there were five teams in that division. It was Carolina, New Orleans, and Atlanta who are all in the South now, and then St. Louis, who's which is in Missouri. Like the 49ers were the only team that were it was where they were supposed to be. <laughs> if, I, if I was them, I'd have been like, "What you got? You got to help." And I think that was one of the breaking points. Was finally they're like, "What, what are you doing here? Look, where where we're supposed to be, and you're making us they have to make all these trips to the you know." So anyway, but yeah, so Breeze, Manning, Brooks, Abair. Yes. Let's go to Tampa Bay next. All right. So right away, I have Brad Johnson. You know, it's not a real proud history, but he won the Super Bowl with them. I have Brad Johnson, Vinny Testaverde, Trent Dilfer, and Doug Williams are my four. So I had Johnson, mm-hmm. quarterback of their only ever Super Bowl winning team and defense first team, but you know, had a really good Super Bowl and was good enough for them that year. I had him. I had Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde, when we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the Jets, Vinny Testaverde was a good quarterback. His ironically, his better years came later. His better years came when he was in his thirties after he left Tampa and got out of there and went to Baltimore and then later the Jets. If you'd asked me in 1991 when Testaverde was just kind of muddling around in Tampa, if he was going to have the type of career he ended up having all these different places, I would have thought you were crazy. But Well, you also I, would have been nine, so I don't know that you would have, you know... I knew able, my football. ...been able to speak profoundly on the subject either, but... Dilfer, yeah. He made a Pro Bowl with Tampa... He was their starting quarterback for a number of years in the late 90s. Took them to the playoffs in 97. On their way up. He was there on their way up. You went with Doug Williams, who best known as the middle quarterback in for the, the middle of the three Washington Super Bowls, also known as the first black quarterback to win to start and to win, he did was the first to do each of those to in the in the Super Bowl. And you know, 
a solid NFL quarterback. The fact that he had a such a great year as a a great game in the Super Bowl speaks well to him in generally doesn't really help him in Tampa Bay. My fourth, I had actually gone with Jameis Winston. Here's why I couldn't. Just because he became, and I know he's their leader in a bunch of stuff, but he just had become such a source of embarrassment for them. I mean, his last couple of years, it was almost performance art how bad he was in 2019. He threw 30 interceptions in 2019. All the advanced metrics were like off the page in terms of negative for him those years. He was a really high draft pick for them, which means they were drafting him to be their franchise quarterback. You know, had one year where they went nine and seven, never really did too much with them. Again, I won't argue the case too much for him against Doug Williams, but to me, just where they picked him and sort of that it became an embarrassment. I, But maybe I'm overjudging, you know, sort of the narrative aspect of it. So can I suggest a, a third option? What's that? Can we go Brady? I feel like if we did this in two weeks, maybe. I almost feel like Brady's already done more for Tampa as a quarterback than certainly than, than either one of those guys probably. Yeah, I guess we could. You know, he's had, this is how shallow it is. It's like when I wrote this three weeks ago, maybe not. And now maybe. And by the time it airs, this airs in a week and maybe you'll have won a playoff game. If they go into New Orleans. Yeah. Here's that's the thing. If they go into New Orleans win and they go to the NFC championship game for the first time in 18 years, yeah, you probably would put him on the list. So I guess we can just go with Brady. All right, so for those listening, if Brady this coming Sunday, uh, after we record this before it airs, if Brady throws four interceptions and the Bucks lose to New Orleans, you know, 31-6, to six, then maybe we'll have to do an addendum. But for now, our Tampa Bay quarterbacks are Brad Johnson, Vinny Testaverde, Trent Dilfer, and Tom Brady. Good to see Tom Brady finally get this, the uh, credit he deserves from somebody. I really it would be great if in the future, like when he's after he retires, if he's known as former Buccaneer Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Atlanta or Carolina next? Let's do Carolina because this is another one of those expansion teams where you can't fault them because they haven't been around for as long, but you do get to a point where you're sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel, although not as much as with some other teams. Compared to Jacksonville and Baltimore and Houston that we did last week. This isn't so bad. No, it's it's not. And it's weird because some of those franchises have had a lot more success than Carolina has. But um, so Cam Newton is a no brainer in this in this um, discussion. I mean, MVP took him to the Super Bowl. Had a bunch of really good years. Was a number one overall pick who lived up to the hype. I mean, obviously, if you draft the guy number one overall, you're you know you're looking for him to be a Hall of Famer. But still, he's the leader in every passing category. On top of what he does with his legs, had the MVP, dwarfs everybody else's numbers, including overall starts. So to me, he's definitely number one. I went with Delhomme next, who also you know is second in almost every category. Started a Super Bowl for them. 
you know, actually came a lot closer to winning a Super Bowl than Cam Newton did. You know, well over 500 for his career with them. You know, had a tendency where he could certainly throw some interceptions and, and things like that in big games. I think the might have been in the divisional round in 2008 against Arizona. He threw like five interceptions on that Saturday night. But um, he's number two. And then my next two are Steve Berline and Kerry Collins. Those are really the only other two yeah. who started, who were the starting quarterback for more than one year. I'm looking at Berline. Berline, who was everywhere. He was at the Raiders, and he was, he was Aikman's backup in Dallas in their first Super Bowl year. Then he was in Phoenix, Jacksonville. He was actually on the Jacksonville team. The, he was Brunel's backup, but he started six games in 95, um, and that would have been their, their first year. Actually, that might not have even been Brunel. I don't know if Brunel was in the league in 95. But anyway, then he went to Carolina, made a Pro Bowl, finished in Denver. A guy who was kind of all over the place. So, yeah, I'm with you on Berline. And then Kerry Collins, he put up some really big passing numbers in Carolina in those early years uh, he was there really for three and a half years, 95, 96, 97, and then half of 98. Yeah, I think this was drinking problems and things like that towards the end in Carolina. Yeah. Kind of got himself drummed out of there because of his, his personal demons. But you know, that was that Carolina team in 96 in their second year that made it all the way to the NFC championship before losing to the Packers. Yeah, those kind of have to be our four. There'd really be nowhere else to go. Rodney Pete of Detroit Lions fame was their quarterback for one year. This is a guy, their quarterback in 2001, who started 15 games from them. Guy, this guy only started 20 games his whole career, but 15 of them were as a rookie for the Panthers in 2001. And I had forgotten about this guy. You know who went one in 15, wasn't it? The 01 Panthers? Yes, they did. They went one and then. Do you know who I'm talking about? 2001. Yeah, this is a guy. I haven't thought about this guy in forever. Uh, I'm trying to look this up here. First name is Chris. Chris. Chris Winky. Oh, I just, yeah, I said Chris Winky. Yeah. Yeah. He, oh, okay. Yeah. He's fifth all time in there passing uh lead you know this this guy had the craziest story i think he'd been a baseball player or something but he he was at florida state in like the the late 90s but he was like 28 or 29 years old yeah and then he was with carolina in 01 and 02 and then 05 and 06 i don't know if he was there in 03 and 04 and just didn't play he doesn't have any stats and then was with san francisco but uh because there was this whole controversy with him because everybody thought in his senior year in Florida State that he was maybe going to win the Heisman. And people were saying, would it really be right for a guy who's 28 years old to win the Heisman Trophy? And then I had forgotten he went to Carolina and started 15 games for a horrible team, but he still started 15 games. He's actually the head coach at the University of Tennessee now, apparently. I did not know that either. He's the quarterback's coach. I didn't see the parentheses. That's <laughs> It's very different. Yes, it is. So the uh, the Carolina Panthers, we have Cam Newton, Kerry Collins, Jake Delhomme, and Steve Berline. That leaves us with one more team in the NFC South, 
and that is the Atlanta Falcons. I feel like Matt Ryan is a no-brainer. Matt Ryan is a no-brainer, and to be honest, Michael Vick is a no-brainer. Agreed. If, if We haven't really factored in off-the-field stuff. I mean, I've talked about, wow, like fans view their eras and things, but I mean, Michael Vick, it's hard to overstate just how much of a force Michael... like. He came in in sort of the era of what people call the running quarterbacks, guys like McNabb and Culpepper. He was a whole other level. That 2002 year that he had, which was his first year as a starter, his second year, you know, first full year as a starter, his second year in the league, he threw for 3,000 yards or just under 3,000 yards. And he ran for, let me see if I can get his rushing yards that year. He also ran for another just under 800 yards in 2006 he ran for over a thousand yards that was his last year with the falcons before the unpleasantness began where he was in you know with the the dog fighting and all and all of that which none of this should be excusing that but and he was a running quarterback in the way that a guy like a newton is now in that him run you know a guy like steve young or even cunningham them running the ball was sort of a a happy side benefit. They ran when they couldn't find an open receiver. Mm-hmm. Vic was one of the first guys where it was like him just taking the snap and running with the ball was a significant part of the offensive game plan. Yeah, and got them, you know, a couple of playoff appearances. He obviously couldn't stay healthy there, which, well, that's not fair, actually. He was healthy the whole 2003, he missed most of the season, but then 04, 05, 06, he played in 15, 15, and 16. Got them to an NFC championship game in 2004 where they got their butts kicked by the Eagles. But yeah, I mean, to me, there's no debate that he goes on there. And then my other two were Steve Barkowski and I went with Chris Chandler. I had both of those as well. Chandler started a Super Bowl made two pro bowls in the nineties. That was the, the late nineties Falcons teams, the most prominent name you think of when you talk about them is Jamal Anderson, who I think in 98, the year that they went to the super bowl, I, I, Jamal Anderson in that 98 Falcons team, he put up a crazy, just a crazy I'll, season. I'll look up his numbers, but yeah, that was the dirty bird was that, that 1846 rushing yards. And they beat that Viking team we talked about before in the NFC Championship game. So, yeah, I'm with you on Chandler. And I'm with you on Bartkowski. He's one of only four players from the Falcons who have their number retired. Now, we talked about how retired numbers don't tend to happen as much as they used to. But nonetheless, he was a guy who is well regarded in the history of the Atlanta Falcons, I guess the best team that he played on probably would have been 1980. They were 12 and four. They lost to Dallas. They're 30 to 27 in the first round of the playoffs. And Bartkowski was, was the leader of that team. I'm looking at some of the other offensive players on that team. Not a lot, not a lot of names that really jump out at me. So I'm, I'm guessing that it's pretty safe to say that, Bartkowski was a, a pretty strong leader of that team. Touchdowns that year, 30 the next year, 
3,500 passing yards. Actually, 81 was 30. He almost broke 4,081 passing yards. Um, so those were definitely his two strongest years. He was a pro bowler both of those years. Started every game. So our Atlanta Falcons, Michael Vick, Matt Ryan, Steve Bartkowski, and Chris Chandler. I have my my idea about who I think wins here, but I'm curious to hear yours. So it's either the Saints or the Falcons, in my opinion. The Saints, obviously, Breeze is the best quarterback we're talking about here. Archie Manning is a very, very good player. And then we have two guys who are basically just guys. Then you have Matt Ryan, who is not Drew Brees, but has had a very, very good career. Michael Vick, who was a, a, a five- or six-year force of nature. And then Bartowski and, and Chandler, to me, are above Brooks and A there. But I just wonder if it's too... I just wonder if Brees and Manning are too top-heavy to... See, to me, it would only be Breeze who would be top-heavy. I almost feel like you could put both Ryan and Vic over Archie Manning. Archie Manning was beloved, and he was a great college player, but his professional numbers are eh, not not that great, especially his winning. I also feel like Abair and Brooks just drag them down so much. So my vote would be for Atlanta. All right, let's go with Atlanta. I like to pick a team that's strong one four as well. So, um, and since that's not possible, we'll go with a team that's at least not terrible. Three well, and four. If, I feel like if you're going to be top heavy, your number two's got to be better than Archie Manning. You know, like it, so. Agreed. Uh, I agree. All right, we're going to head out west now. We got four teams. Got some older teams here. Where do you want to start? Let's do the two newer teams first, and then we'll go to the old ones. One of these teams is actually not at all. <laughs> One of these teams is the oldest team in the NFL. But I have much history to speak of. Let's uh, start with them. Let's go with the St. Louis, the Chicago, St. Louis, Phoenix, Arizona Cardinals. All right. I have Kurt Warner on the list, actually at the top of the list. You know, kind of weird with him because he's he, he had that year with the Giants where it was like his career is basically over, you know, and then they started him for about nine games because he was so shell-shocked from how things ended with St. Louis. Then he goes back to Arizona and has some of the best years of his career, gets them to a Super Bowl, gets them about as close to winning a Super Bowl as you can. Let I, me just jump in there. People forget how good that Super Bowl was because it came the year after the – Giants Patriots the first Super Bowl but that's Super Bowl 43 between Pittsburgh and the Cardinals that's a great game yeah I think there's always a little bit of sort of knowledge that the best team in the league wasn't in that game that they had both been defeated at home by the Giants who should have been in that game by rights but that's me talking I have, <laughs> I have a tough time with that game because I think the Giants were at least be- the Giants were better than Arizona the the Giants just got the team they couldn't beat in the playoffs. And Philly. We'll, 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 we'll devote a whole month of shows to that team one year. Um, but uh, nothing like complaining about a team that didn't win the Super Bowl the year after a Super Bowl that really should make you happy for the rest of your life. But anyway, so Warner goes, because Warner wasn't just a one-year thing. He was there through, you know, he was there a couple of years before that. He was They got into the playoffs the next year with him. 
Jim Hart is on my list. He was, you know, a starter for a, a long period of time with them between the 60s and all the way through to the early 80s. Four-time um, pro bowler. Yep, by far the leading passer for them, you know, 12,000 more than number two. Touchdown to interception ratio is not great. He's got 38 more interceptions than touchdowns. But again, just longevity and gross statistics, you know, the counting numbers to me make him hard to leave off. And then Neil Lomax is sort of the same thing. Again, not great teams had the misfortune of Lomax was there from 81 to 88 in the NFC East, which at any given point in that stretch had at least two of the best teams in the league at any given point. Giants in Washington. Well, and early on you had Philadelphia and still Dallas. And later on you had the late Philly teams, you know, or the, the Buddy Ryan, like the start of the Buddy Ryan teams. Like that division was a monster in the 80s. So obviously had a tough time there, but still, you know, puts up good numbers. His second all-time in passing for them, 136 touchdowns to 90 interceptions, playing against some damn good defenses too. You know, you always see clips of Lawrence Taylor drilling Ron Jaworski, but you see plenty of him drilling Neil Lomax too. So did you have Hart and Lomax? I did. I am three for three with you so far. And then number four, I have Jake Plummer. Carson Palmer's numbers are actually pretty good as a core. Like the, the argument you could make for Palmer is that they won a lot more with Palmer than they did with Jake Plummer. I feel like Jake Plummer was the only thing those teams had and he got them into the playoffs and won a playoff game against the Cowboys, which was sort of like unbelievable that the Cardinals were like, that's the thing before that Kurt Warner Cardinals team, it was like unheard of that the Cardinals were ever even decent, you know? And then they like the fact that he got them, I don't know. To me, he was more important to his team than Palmer was to his team. They made the playoffs once in 25 years between 1982 and 2008. So 82, they were a wild card in the strike year. That barely counts because they played nine games that counted and 18 made the playoffs. And they were five and four. Yeah. So that, and then they won, they made the playoffs and lost the Super Bowl in 08. Only one time in that whole interim period did they make the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, make the playoffs. And that was 98. And that was the plumber year that you're talking about. So I am with you there. Kurt Warner, Neil Lomax, Jake Plummer, and Jim Hart. Jim Hart. So that is Arizona. Yeah. And we should also point out that. Jimmy Hart then went on to a successful career as a professional wrestling manager. Will you be serious? I never, I never didn't put two and two together. This <laughs> imagine Jimmy Hart playing quarterback. He'd be good at the audibles. He'd be like, "All right, guys, now we got him." All right. So Seattle next. Let's do Seattle next. Russell Wilson's a no-brainer. Absolutely. I have Russell Wilson, Matt Hasselbeck. Dave Craig and Jim Zorn. Those are mine as well. I mean, Wilson obviously is, there's no question. Hasselbeck, there's no question within the context of the Seahawks. Only other guy to lead them to a Super Bowl. Yeah, with, had a long stretch with them, was a, you know, was a quarterback for the better part of 10 years. And really, you could say the same thing with the next two Craig and Zorn. There was some overlap there, but their numbers are pretty similar in terms of statistics. Zorn was the quarterback right as they started. So his career record started in a hole. It was tough to dig out of just because if you're there the first couple of years when they're hideous, 
it's tough to dig out of that, but still managed good numbers. And really, if you talk about below that, nobody, that's what's crazy too. If you look at the four of them in terms of games uh, started, the next guy, they're all in the 126 to 144 range in terms of games started. The next guy down is Rick Meyer at 55. Him and Jeff Kemp both played in 50. Well, Jeff Kemp was a bad guy. Rick Meyer started 51 games. So there's really no question about which four it would be. Yeah, and in almost every category. The only one, the John Kitten is the only other guy who maybe did some halfway decent things, but even he, not really. And you're right. It's those four, both Krieg and... Zorn, I think, probably definitely benefited from throwing to Steve Largent for all those years, who was one of the best wide receivers of all time, and I believe was the all-time uh, receiving leader prior to Jerry Rice. So definitely benefit from that. But yeah, you really don't have many other places to go with Seattle other than the four that we took, which is Russell Wilson, Matt Hasselbeck, Dave Krieg, and Jim Zorn. Should we talk about the L.A. St. Louis L.A. Rams? It would actually be the Cleveland L.A. St. Louis L.A. Rams, but yeah, yes, let's go for it. Cleveland era on yours? Yes, I do. Okay. All right, let's go with them. What? What do you? What's your list? I have Norm Van Brocklin, Bob Waterfield, Kurt Warner, and Roman Gabriel. All right, I had Warner Gabriel. And Van Brocklin. I'm, I'm going to allow for the fact that I probably just overlooked Waterfield. And Waterfield was the quarterback in the Cleveland years when they, especially in '45, when they won the NFL title, and then into the glory years of the early '50s in LA. All right. Yeah. I mean, I. That's that's fine. I I, I think I was. I think I overlooked him a little bit just because the numbers are so much lower. But obviously, it's a it's a different different era hall of famer yeah there's no argument it's got to be waterfield although let me say this we are leaving the two leading and three of the four leading passers in terms of like yardage and touchdowns all time off of this team like jim everett jim everett and i'm going to request that when you edit in the when you edit in clips for this episode Please edit in the Jim Rome clip with Everett. Um, just please, please make that work. <laughs> I can do that. Jim, good to have you on the show. Good to be here, Jim. Thank you. Check that. Chris Everett, good to have you on the show. You know what? You know, you've been calling me that for about the last five years. Now, uh, two years, actually, Chris. Well, hey, you know what? Let me, let me say one thing. In that game, how many sacks did I have that we came back and won? How many sacks did yeah, you have? Yeah, how many games? How many sacks? Let's see, but this was back in 1989. Okay, so was you, may, you may have even been Jim Everett back there, but somewhere along the way, Jim, you ceased being Jim and you became Chris. Well, let me tell you a little secret. That, you know, we're sitting here right now, and if you guys want to take a station break, you can. But if you call me Chris Everett to my face one more time... I already did you it better, twice. You better... If you call one more time, we better st- take a station break. Well, it's a five-minute segment. Our five-segment show. We got a long way to go. Well, we do. We got a long way to go. We do. I'll get a couple segments out of well, you before. it's good to be here with you, though. Well, it's good you to know, see you, too. because you've been talking like this behind my back for a long but time. But now I said it right here. Right, exactly. Well, we got no problem well, I with think that. It, I think that you, you probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris.
Um, although it doesn't quite work without Jim Jim Rome's face when he finally realizes that Jim Everett is about to hit him. <laughs> um, but they're actually, their two leading passers all time yardage wise are Jim Everett and Mark Bulger. And then fourth is Goff already. Now I'm not making a serious case for Bulger or Goff. You could make a case for Everett, but I, I think I agree with you that it, it ought to be Waterfield instead of Everett. Yeah, Hall of Fame, won titles with the team in two different cities, Cleveland and L.A. It's interesting how Van Brocklin started his career in L.A. as part of a quarterback controversy with another Hall of Famer in Waterfield and then ended, even though there was no real controversy in Philly, Van Brocklin was the clear starter, but being backed up by another Hall of Famer in Sonny Jurgensen, that Van Brocklin Waterfield is often considered the the first real quarterback controversy in NFL history. A guy who was like a, a one of the first Hollywood stars in professional sports, and you got to realize that in 1950 or the whenever it was, I think 46 was when the Rams first went out to LA. This was still 10 years from the Lakers, 10 years from the Dodgers, so those LA Ram teams were the first LA sports team that kind of took California by storm and Waterfield was a big part of that. Let's uh, finish up with the San Francisco 49ers. I think there's no debate about the first two and Steve Young and Joe Montana, not in that order, Montana and then Young is our one and two. Absolutely. And then I have Y.A. Tittle again and John Brody. Me too. Um, Tittle, who was the quarterback for the Niners in the 50s before going to the Giants to finish out his career, and then Brody, who was their quarterback in the 70s. And those 70s Niners teams never made a Super Bowl, but they were a pretty good team, especially in the early 70s. I think they'd lost to Dallas in the playoffs like three years in a row. It was something. They lost to him a couple of NFC championship games in a row. So I want to say... 70 and 71, they lost to them in the NFC Championship game. Yes. And then maybe, let me look up. There might have been one other, like, really good team that they had. Um, Let me just pull up their franchise index. Uh, Franchise pages. Team years. Brody was the NFL MVP in 1970, which was one of the years that they went to and lost the conference championship game. Yeah, 72, they lost to Dallas in the divisional playoffs, 30 to 28. And then obviously Dallas would have lost to Washington the next week because Dallas didn't go to the Super Bowl that year. So yeah, they lost to those Cow- the, the doomsday Cowboys teams three times in a row. If close losses too, 14-3 in 1971 and then 17-10 in 1970. So three years and the biggest loss was 11 points. You know what? I didn't realize I was reading this about candlestick park the other day. I I'm so used to seeing candlestick park when it opened. And then from 81 on that, I didn't realize for the whole 1970s candlestick park was AstroTurf. I didn't either. It's weird to think of that. Cause like, but it was so like during the beginning of that era, that that's why I brought it up, but I did not know that, but it was so in this division, it's got to just be- real quick on the Niners. I guess there was really there really wasn't anywhere else you really could have gone 
No, Jeff Garcia had some nice years. Alex Smith had some nice years. Colin Kaepernick had some nice years, but not to the level where you'd be seriously talking about them instead of, I mean, who's fourth on this list, Brody? Yeah, probably. Probably Brody, yeah. Yeah, so no, you can't. You can't make a case really for anybody else. Garcia, maybe just because of his numbers, but that's you, when you it when you adjusted it all for the era, it doesn't hold up. But Garcia had a nice career. So our 49ers, Joe Montana, Steve Young, John Brody, and Y.A. Tittle. This has to be the first time we have a guy, or no, because did we end up with Van, uh, with, well, Jurgensen, because we have Warner's on two teams in this division. Warner's Warner is on two teams in this division. Yeah, absolutely. Jurgensen was as well. So in the East, yeah. So this is, eh, you know, no, it's San Francisco. Are you between San Francisco and the Rams? You know, I'm I'm not between San Francisco and the Rams. I was about to say this is closer than you might think, but I actually think it's not closer than you might think. Now, there are three Hall of Famers on each side. Montana is basically, you can say, you know, Montana is a Hall of Famer if he never wears a Kansas City Chief uniform. Tittle, I guess his Giants career helps him a little bit, but Montana and Young, pretty much their entire Hall of Fame career was with the Niners and then Tittle a decent amount. With the Rams, at least two of them, Warner and Van Brocklin, did a significant amount elsewhere and Montana is probably the second best quarterback of all time. He's at worst the third best quarterback of all time. And Young's, Young's in the top, I don't know, 12 maybe. And you can't say that about Van Brocklin, Warner, or Waterfield in my estimation. So I think it's San Francisco pretty, pretty clearly. So what that leaves us with is Dallas, Green Bay, Atlanta, and San Francisco. Let me just read the rosters real quick just to remind everybody. Dallas is Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach, Tony Romo, and Don Meredith. Green Bay is Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Arnie Herber. San Francisco, Joe Montana, Steve Young, John Brody, Y.A. Tittle. Atlanta, Michael Vick, Matt Ryan, Steve Bartkowski, and Chris Chandler. So one of these things is not like the other. Atlanta falls pretty quick here, I think. Knock Atlanta off the list. So we're now down to Green Bay, San Francisco, and Dallas. And to be honest, it's strong. Like, I'm looking at when the AFC, when we did it, you know, we we had New England, who kind of went off pretty quickly, that was just there mostly on the strength of Brady. Cleveland was mostly there on the strength of Otto Graham. Kansas City had some good, you know, with Mahomes still in his – but, like – these three are all kind of loaded. I'm trying to think of who I would knock off next. It's got to be Dallas. Yeah, because there's there's no trend. I mean, Staubach and Aikman are Hall of Famers. They're not gods in the football. Yeah. Like a few guys on this list is. So Dallas would get knocked off next. You'd be down to San Francisco and Green Bay. And to me, it has to be Green Bay would you say Rodgers and Montana are a push or would you give Montana a slight edge because of the more winning? 
I would give Montana an edge because of more winning. Okay. So if- I would, you know, now then, and I, but I would say that both Favre and Starr are probably at least as good as Steve Young in totality. Bart Starr's numbers obviously don't compare to Young's, but I think that you probably two, three, and four are Packers. If you, even if you make Montana one, two, three, and four are Packers. At the very least, yeah, well, yeah, probably. Young might slip in there, but yeah. Three of the next four are Packers, definitely. And then... Arnie Herber is tough here. We put him in here. It's tough to, to compare him, but... But he's a Hall of Famer and Brody isn't. He won a lot. Neither Brody or Tittle did. It's got to be Green Bay, doesn't it? I think it has to be Green Bay. So now we are in the Super Bowl, and much like Super Bowl five and Super Bowl nine and ten and thirteen and fourteen, these are all team. These, this is a matchup between two former NFL teams. Yes. Those being the Colts and the 49ers. Well, the Colts and the Packers. The Pack. I, the only one of those you can. No, they were all in the NFL when they played in the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying. It's about how when the. Right after the merger happened in 70, like the next like six Super Bowls or whatever, more than half the time, the AFC representative was a former NFL team, whether it was the Colts or the Steelers. Let's just run this down. Baltimore slash Indianapolis is Peyton Manning, Johnny Unitas, Burt Jones, and Andrew Luck. And then Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Bart Starr, and Arnie Herber. Who on that list is number one? Manning? I'd actually put Manning. Hmm, I'd put Manning third. What? I would. Yeah, I would put Manning third. I would go Montana and then Unitas. Where are you getting Joe Montana from? <laughs> yeah, I, God, it's been a long week. Joe You're Montana right. Never played for the Packers. I was thinking the 49ers. I'm sorry. You're right. I would put Unitas over Manning. Okay, but they're both Colts. Yeah, agreed. So you have Colts one and two. Yeah, but then I think I would probably have Packers three, four, five, and six. Oh, man, it just gets so tough with Arnie Huber against Burt Jones and Andrew Luck. So if you had Packer, if you had Indianapolis one and two, how close would you have Aaron Rodgers to Peyton Manning? Close. Manning gets the edge, but close. And then Favre and Star. Even let's take the guy from the third. Let's take Arnie out for a second. Burt Jones and Andrew Luck are nowhere near Brett Favre and, and Bart Starr. And I know that this is only one measure, but I'm counting up in my head. And four of these come from Arnie Herber, but still. 11 championships for the Packers guys and Unitas and Peyton Manning with the Colts have four. So we're, we're leaning towards the Pat. We're going with the Packers, I would think, right? I think it's hard to say a team with four Hall of Famers from four different eras loses out, especially when you factor in that Burt Jones 
is not close to a Hall of Famer. And I've never heard anybody say about Burt Jones that it was like, oh, well, he could have been great. I think Burt Jones... We've never listened to Ernie Acorsi speak that. <laughs> That's... That used to be a thing on the Giants fan site, Big Blue Winter. Anytime Ernie, of course, you'd give a press conference, people would be like, how long before he mentions Burt Jones? But- <laughs> All right. Well, Ernie, of course, aside, you know, I guess you could say, well, luck, you know, had some, no pun intended, bad luck. But I think that if you're just talking about what their careers were, luck and Jones are no, probably no. the bottom two. Now, let me ask you this. So we're going with Green Bay, right? I think we are. I know this isn't the debate, and I know we're pushing the two-hour mark already. If it was between Indianapolis, or if it was between the Colts and San Francisco for second, where would you go there? <clears throat> you know, I'd probably still go San Francisco. I think I would as well. I yeah. think Burt Jones is a real weak link in these fours. You. I'm sorry? He speaks highly of you. <laughs> yeah, I just, no disrespect to Burt Jones, but I think he drags the Colts down. And I guess to a certain extent, Luck does too, but Burt Jones, I think, drags drags it down a little bit. So, All right. So Packers win, 49ers would get the silver medal, and then the Colts would get the bronze. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else in the NFC that I would necessarily yeah, give it to. Over the Cowboys just because of the top, the, the top two. So, Yeah, that's true. That is two of the best 10 quarterbacks of all time. And I think other than San Francisco, nobody else has that. So, And San Francisco might not even have it. Yeah, if it was top two, it would definitely be the Colts. Yeah. So, I mean, they're better than Staubach and Aikman. They're better than Rodgers and Favre. They're better than the only one they'd be close to would be Montana and Young, probably. So, all right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this two-week-long examination, uh, dive, whatever you want to call it, into the greatest quarterbacks for each of the 32 franchises in NFL history, something a little bit different. You know, we've done a lot of sort of straight storytelling and then we the in memoriam. So we thought a little bit more of a, a back and forth would be fun for a couple of episodes. Andrew, do you have anything to add before we wrap things up? No, I really enjoyed this. And it's, again, it's, there's no right answers. It's all just about kind of having fun with it. I like where we landed, but that's not to say if we did it two weeks from now, we wouldn't have different answers. So, um, yeah, I think, and again, if anybody has thinks we're way off on something or we totally forgot about somebody or, or anything like that, let us know. And, and the Facebook thing, it's not like the topic is closed forever and we'll never discuss it ever again. So, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us as always. Until next time, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, 
Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.